We are concluding our topic for the month. As we said, that we're going to continue on this topic until the end of this month. And in May, we'll introduce a new topic. But we're talking about courage to use your weapons. And uh, I'm reading Ephesians 4, 6.14. If you can find it, Ephesians 6.14. It reads as follows. Stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place. We read Ephesians 6, and in it, uh, Paul mentions the different pieces of our armor. He talks about how our loins must be get about with truth, how we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet should be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we should take the shield of faith and put on our heads the helmet of salvation and in our hand the sword of the spirit. We've already talked about the belt of truth. We've already also talked about our feet and we talked about the helmet of salvation. We still need to talk about the breastplate, the shield and the sword. So today we're going to look at what Paul is talking about and what he means when he said we must put on the breastplate of righteousness. That word breastplate is rendered T-H-O-O-R-A-X, all right? Or in Latin, it's L-O-R-I-C-A. Let's go over that again. That word breastplate is rendered T-H-O-O-R-A-X, or in Latin, I-O-R-I-C-A. It depicts the armor that the soldiers wore which covered their body from their neck to their thighs. And this armor consisted of two parts, one covering the front and one covering the back. And it's called the breastplate of righteousness. This breastplate, as you can see on that, was a sleeveless piece of armor that covered the full torso of the soldier. No Roman soldier would dare go into battle without that breastplate. And there are several ways in which the breastplate was made. At times it was made out of rings or in the form of scales or like the one we see here, it was made of plates which were fastened together. Even if it looks so hard, this breastplate was actually flexible. And it was meant to guard the body of the soldier from the attack of the sword, the spear, and the arrow. Often we find several people wearing breastplates in the Bible, like Saul, for instance. Or rather, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Bazalana, like, <laughs> like Goliath, not Saul. We read about Goliath in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15. It reads... He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail. So in this instance, they called this breastplate a coat of mail. And when you read in 1 Samuel 17, you find that the breastplate that he wore weighed about 125 pounds or 132 kilograms. I'm 86 kilograms. So the breastplate that he wore was almost twice my weight. Can you imagine? But David killed him nonetheless, hey. 
Also, the word habadion is used in Nehemiah 4.16. H-A-B-E-R-G-E-O-N. H-A-B-E-R-G-E-O-N. And it speaks of a breastplate. In the scripture we have read, Paul uses the word breastplate in our main text. As we said, it was formed of different plates of brass laid upon one another like the scales of a fish. And it was designed really to protect the vital organs that are housed in the torso. You know that this part of your body or what medical people call the thorax, that part of you, is houses the heart, the lungs, the liver, and the stomach. So this breastplate would cover the thorax and all the vital organs. The only vital organ that wasn't covered by the breastplate is your brain. But the thorax contains the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, as well as the digestive tracts, or what the Bible calls the bowels. Remember all those words. Damage to any of these organs generally would prove fatal, even today. You do know that when they teach people to shoot, to kill, they usually aim at your torso. Because they know that if they strike you in your torso, if your heart gets punctured, your lungs get punctured, if your bowels get punctured or any of that, very often you would die in a matter of hours, days, and, and because that is the vital part of your body. So, because of that, the breastplate became a very important part of the soldier's armor. Like it is in your case. The breastplate is vital. Why? It provides protection for the thorax. It protects your thorax from the sword, from the spear, and from the arrows. Now remember, in these days, there were no antibiotics in olden days. And not only that, there was no advanced surgery techniques. So any wound to the thorax would not only be very painful, but it would obviously be fatal. So the soldier really depended on the breastplate. Their life depended on it. You know, you could wound them anywhere else, but please don't wound me in my thorax cavity because it protected all those important organs. Now, it's also interesting when we read and study the Jewish culture in which the Bible is the set up there. You find that they use the, the stomach, the heart, the lungs to depict certain qualities, all right? So from the Jewish point of view, from their culture, when they talked about the stomach and the and the and the and the and the liver and the and the and the and the lungs and the heart, they used that metaphorically to depict emotions, feelings in terms of the vital organs. So in the ancient Jewish thinking, the heart really represented the mind and the will. And the bowels were considered to be the seat of the emotions and feelings. So when Paul says, put on your breastplate, he is using this metaphor to talk about and refer to those vital organs in your life. Your heart, which is uh, your, your feelings, your emotions, which has to do with your power to choose. Let me give you a few examples in the Bible, for instance, where the words is used for spiritual qualities, but they are using an actual organ that we have. In Psalm 69, verse 16, it reads as follows. Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. 
Tend to me according to the multitude of your tender messes. Literally, when you read it in the literal Hebrew translations, it says, uh, tend to me according to the multitude of your tender bowels. Now, I know. bowels, Particularly, every weekend. Anybody watch Matumbu? How are Matumbu, Mongrace? watch. Matumbu, Give me, give me, tell me, tell me. The benachut, eh? Malana. Kisang, kisang. The kilana, yeah. It's a melana. The kahari. Hey, arutlo malana. Oh, you 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 sitting there looking so important like how malana. Tell me, Munna. Come on, tell me. Tell me, how malana. What do you call them? What do you call them? So when we use the term bowels, when the Bible talks about bowels, it's using that metaphor of the benachute to really talk about tender messes. Also, the heart is used in a symbolic way. Proverbs 4, 4, it reads, He also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words. Now, he's not talking about this heart of yours that's pumping blood. Huh? Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands and live. So the word heart there is used to symbolize the seat of choice, the seat of volition. In other words, it talks about the ability to understand and to make choices. So when he says, let your heart retain my words, he's saying, let me respond in a positive way and make the choices that line up with your word. We're not talking about this physical heart, but we're talking about making choices. Interesting enough, Psalms 23 verse 16, when we read it in the New King James Version, reads as follows. It says, yes, my innermost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. But in the literal Hebrew translation, this is how it reads. It says, my son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad and my kidneys will rejoice. So the word kidneys there is used to talk about the innermost being or the inner man. Therefore, the organs like the bowels, the heart, the kidneys were referred to metaphorically as the seat of emotions, feelings, and decision making. Even in the New Testament, Paul uses that expression. For instance, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 8, this is how it reads. For God is my record. How greatly I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I will come at Tumbu But what he's talking about is compassion and mercy. In Philippians 2 1, it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy. Colossians 3.12 Put on therefore as the elect of God Holy and beloved Bowels of mercies Kindness Humbleness of mind Meekness And long suffering So when it talks about the heart The lung The kidneys It's talking about metaphorically The seat of our emotions Decision making The seat of our choice And Paul is saying We've got to protect our hearts We've got to protect our lungs, protect our kidneys, protect our bowels. Put on that breastplate of righteousness. Now, what is the significance of that? 
I mean, what does it mean when he is saying that? What Paul is saying is simply this. In your warfare as a believer, Satan is going to always attack you in your mind and in your emotions. And the attack is a fierce one because it goes to your thorax. If he can attack you in your thorax, he's going to bring you down. And many people don't understand that the Christian life for the most part is lost for the most part in terms of our mind and our emotions. Too often we fall into the devil's trap because we don't control those two areas. We live a type of Christian life that is very sentimental, where we allow our minds to be attacked. The mind and the emotions, therefore, become the two areas where Satan most frequently attacks God's people. How does he do it? He fills our minds with false doctrine and false emotions. Many people haven't understood the destruction that false doctrine does in their lives. If your mind can be filled with wrong doctrine, you become prey for the enemy. Because it's only correct doctrine that can help us stand against the forces of darkness. Paul says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we can rightly divide the word of truth, that means we can also wrongly divide the word of truth. It's very critical that you and I make sure that we check the correctness of our doctrine. That we, we, we interpret the Bible according to Bible principles. But you know, we live in a time right now in our country where there's a lot of error that is flying around. Particularly in churches like ours, where people are made to eat snakes, eat grass, drink petrol, all kinds of things. Doom them. And it's very sad, all of these things are done in the name of God. And it's supposed to bring freedom and liberation. It's supposed to be the anointing. And you see people expose themselves to these kinds of things, believing what is not scriptural. Very often we need to be very careful that as we read the Bible, we interrogate what we read and we become like the believers in Berea. We don't just believe what the preacher says, but we take it upon ourselves to check it out if what they are saying is so. But Satan will fill our minds with false doctrine. Often people haven't understood that one of the things that Paul said will characterize the last days is that people will fall prey to false doctrine. By the way, false doctrine is not just something that starts today. As a matter of fact, this morning, you know, when I was doing my devotions, I was listening to uh, a teaching that was done by a minister many years ago. And he was quoting something that was happening in the 30s, where people used to produce fake miracles. For instance, like blood coming out of their hands, gold coming out of their hands, all kinds of things coming out of their hands. In fact, I heard a story years ago uh, and I've listened to it even recently, of a minister who lost his wife and uh, he was so depressed and so sad. The church said to him, now that you've lost your wife, why don't you take a break? And this is back then, those days, you know, before we had taxis and flights and, and this happened in the U.S. 
So this minister got on a train, went to another state, just to go and take a break. And he came to this town where nobody knew who he was, and he didn't know much about the town, and then as he was walking around, he saw a, a poster that says, a service is going to be held uh, on, on tonight at such and such a place. So, you know, him being in town and being a minister and probably hadn't gone to church that day, decided, well, why don't I attend this service? When he got to the service, uh, he found the place jam-packed. And it was obvious many of the people who were there, you could tell they were believers in a way. And so he said, you know, there were, the place was so full that I got the last seat almost right at the back. And in a short while, the lights came off, and then the, the spotlights came on the stage, and uh, the, 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 there's a lady who came out and started playing on the piano uh, a, a rock of ages. Rock of ages. Last time I said amazing grace, it's rock of ages. Rock of ages. Cleft for me. Let me hide myself in the... But quite interesting, her dress code was really not very encouraging. You know, the dress codes that you don't wear when you stand in front here. Oh, you don't agree with me, you progressive people. Hmm? Huh? How would you feel if I was to come up with a dress code that exposed certain parts of my anatomy? No, I'm asking you. I'm asking you, comrades. Just ask the person next to you. How would you feel like? Now, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt wear a jacket. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt wear long pants. It doesn't say that. Are you understanding what I'm saying? It doesn't say that. But there's a thing called common sense. There's a thing called common sense. I mean, there are some of these shorts. How do you appear the exposure? What you call? How would you like for me to come in with that kind of shorts here? And, 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 oh, come on. Don't give me that look now. It would be an aftershock. Of course it would be. So I'm just saying, you know, so I mean, you know, and so this lady really, she really didn't, her dress code, the minister says, wasn't so encouraging. And very soon, this, there's a man who came out in a top hat and let's uh, Manel, tuxedo, you know, comes out this guy and, uh, and, and he joins in the singing. And as the song went on, all of a sudden, the lady disappeared. Yeah, and the song continued playing. Rock of Ages left for me. It's a miracle, isn't it? The piano is playing on its own. Rock of Ages is playing in the background. And it says this guy with a top hat and a tuxedo got off the stage, walked all the way back, came to this minister, stood in front of him and said, Sir, I have a word for you from your wife. Your wife has a message for you. Yeah. So this guy said, no, sir, you don't have a message for me. My wife passed on several months ago. He's in heaven with Jesus. She cannot speak to me. And this guy said, sir, but I have a message for you. And this man continued saying that three times. And he said on the third time, he got to be very aggressive. And this man said, I just stood up and I left. You know? And the sad thing is, there were all the people who are believing in Christ there, rock of ages. And the big attraction was this man could operate in the word of knowledge. He could tell their fortune. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean everybody who's doing that is operating by wrong spirits. But my goodness, today, there's people who all they want is for somebody to prophesy over them. 
All they're looking for is for somebody to tell them their address. Muna, if you don't know your address, I tell you, you are a big time. I'm a... How? Huh? Your cell phone number is 083-468. Oh! I've been leading a church long enough now to have noted sometimes that there are people who would rather live this kind of life of manufactured miracles. Somehow people overextend what the Bible says as though when you are a real believer, you must be swinging from one branch of miracle to the other every day. But when you read the Bible, it didn't happen that way. When you read the Bible, Jesus didn't heal people 24, 7, 365 and a quarter. Even the Old Testament prophets didn't go around prophesying all the time. And there was no prophecy on demand. Huh? Like you do on DSTV, movies on demand, there was no prophecy on demand. And when you study prophets in the Bible, mostly they taught, most of the times. The Old Testament prophet taught most of the times. The New Testament prophets taught most of the times. Never prophet them only more. And they didn't prophesy to everybody they saw. Jesus didn't heal everybody who was there. I see some of you don't like my preaching. Look at your neighbor who doesn't like my preaching. He's trying to help you. So what happens? People take their breastplate off and open themselves to wrong doctrine. And wrong doctrine will really destroy your life. I'm telling you. It brings pain. It brings sorrow. You know, when we were helping the young people in uh, Dobsonville, you remember there the, the were uh, three young people who were, who were sacrificed in a satanic occultic activity. And, and, and we went to the school to go and help there. You know? One of the things that really shocked me was to really realize how there were so many other solutions given uh, to the school that were not Bible-based. That even the, the, the prayers that were taken to the school, I remember one day they said we must come, we're going to all pray there, you know, over the school. And, and we are going to cleanse the school. No, 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 there's nothing wrong in you. You, you, you do clear an area. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and then when I got there, Mdadam Konto was with, Mdadam Konto, you were with me, ne? So if you don't believe me, you must come and ask this man. Who else was with Where were you? You were with me, ne? Yeah, you were with me. You know, I was so shocked. When we arrived, you know, for the time for prayer, you know, we've come for prayer. In the other room, you know, it was at the school. We were praying in the one hall. But in the other class, there was a huge commotion going on. And I was wondering, well, what is this commotion about? So, you know, I went to go and investigate well, what is going on. This is like a Friday night, you know. So when I got there, I found these two people having this, uh, this thing, this taser. How many of you know the taser? You know a taser? If you don't know a taser, ask your neighbor what a taser is. I'm not... You don't know a taser? Okay, now we all know what a taser is. All right. So they had a taser. And they were using the taser on a dove. Yes. There was a dove in the room. 
They, they were using a taser on a dove. On a dove. How? So when I came in, I said, what are you doing? They said, can't you see? I said, what all I see is you, the taser, and the dove. That's what I see. They said, no. This is a disguised human being. Yeah, ask him, ask him, ask him. I'm telling you, I'm casting this through God, but I'm telling you. Serious. I said, I said what they said. They said, you don't know, they can turn into doves. They are coming to prevent our prayer meeting from being having impact. Hey, the poor dove. I tried to intervene. I said, oh, how, how? Finally, when I intervened, you know, the poor dove which I took, was taken outside, but you could see that the damage was already done. These are church people. The person who was given the instruction of the taser is a minister of the gospel. And then the prayer meeting started. Hi. Hi, hi, you see, you see, once you start pushing things outside of the boundaries of the Bible. So we were praying, they were doing things, and under them come to realize, finally I was regretting why I came to that prayer meeting. Because you are going to be guilty by association. You know what I mean? I think the last straw for me is when they went to a, a, a mast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was it a telecom mast? You know, this mast starts at the phone. And they, there was this mast. You know, it's a thing in Adidas in Toko Dimokwale to transmit the signal. And then the, the, the guy who was praying, the minister was praying, he was telling us, this is the communication thing of demons. I said, what? I said, I'm telling you, come and ask him. Come and ask him. Come and ask him. He was there. I said, and then so, I don't know, the demons from the underworld... Hey, Marai, some revelation is too deep for me. The demons from the underworld were coming out through this mast and they were being transmitted all over South Africa. So we must go and pray at that mast. I am okay. I just stood aside. And then, I, and then finally I left. But you know the pain was how these type of prayer meetings are going on again and again and again all over. All over. People are told, look at the west. When the moon is coming that way, look that way. You know, everything is a demon. When you see a frog, it's a demon. You see an ant, it's another demon. And none of that can be substantiated by God's word. See, see, the spiritual world, Bazalon, you got to understand, the spiritual world has good and bad alike. And you can access good or bad in the spiritual world if you don't relate and you don't deal with it within biblical boundaries. Just like natural electricity. You know, electricity is a blessing. But electricity being a blessing, they tell you not to do certain things. The same power that can put the lights on, the same power that can cook your meal can cook you. Same power. The same with the spiritual world. We can access the spiritual world. That something is supernatural doesn't make it to come from God. So Paul says, make sure that your mind is filled with correct doctrine. Read God's word. Study God's word. Make sure you don't allow your mind. Why? 
Because Satan will deal a fatal blow in your life. The second thing Satan does is to come to us through our emotions. See, a Christianity that's based on emotions is going to bring you to a place where you're going to be a defeated Christian. And Satan loves to use our emotions to try and determine what the will of God is. Have you ever prayed and, and after you prayed, you felt like, you felt like, you felt like, you felt like, you felt like God didn't hear you? Yeah. And you left that place of prayer feeling like God hasn't heard you. Where did it say God hears you if you feel like it? The Bible says the just shall live by faith, not by feelings. Not by feelings. Yeah. Satan will bring feelings of guilt, inferiority, inadequacy. Satan will bring fear your way. Satan will cause you to feel condemned, to feel like God doesn't love you. You know, you do something wrong, you go to God and you ask God to forgive you, and after you've prayed that this voice that says, no, not you. You walk away from there feeling guilty. But what does the word of God say? See, you've got to take what the word of God says so that you put back your breastplate and you cover your vital organs in Jesus' name. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is what? I can't hear you. He's what? I can't hear you. He's what? I want to hear you some more. He's what? He's what? He's what? You know what faithful means? Means he's not going to turn from what he said. You know what faithful means? It means you can rely on what he told you. You know what faithful means? He doesn't wake up in a good mood one day and a bad mood another. You know what faithful means? He cannot challenge or cancel what he said. He will keep his word. Mamela, if we confess our sins, he is what? He is what? He is what? To forgive you. You can depend on him. He's going to forgive you. He is faithful and and the word just is a legal term. It's the same word as the word righteous. means you have a right standing. It means you are not wrong. You are justified. In short, you are not guilty. God is just. He, is, he will do what is right, what we call justice. God is committed to doing what is right. If he promises you, he's going to keep to what he said. No matter how many times you come to ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. If you confess our sins, he is what? I can't hear you. He is what? And to do what? To do what? To do what? God commits himself. He says, you can depend on me. You can rely on me. All I need for you to do is to confess your sins. If you confess your sins, I am faithful. If you confess your sins, I am just. If you confess your sins, I will forgive you. Can I hear an amen in the house? He is faithful and just to do what? If that's all he said, that would be good enough for me. But he says, and to cleanse us. Not only does he forgive you, he wipes it, removes it. And he says, I am faithful to do that. I am just to do that. 
if that's all he said, that would be good. He says he is faithful, he's just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all. There's no small sin, there's no big sin. It doesn't matter if you do it once, twice, 90 times, a hundred times. He's faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you from all. It doesn't matter if you stole a car. It doesn't matter if you killed somebody. It doesn't matter if you stole a cell phone. He is faithful. He is just to forgive you from all. Here's the question. Why is it that after we've prayed the prayer of confession... When we walk away, we still feel guilty. Yeah. You feel like God can't use you anymore. You feel like you can't stand against the power of Satan. It's not God, it's your feelings. So what does Satan do? He rips off your breastplate. He knows when you are in that condition, you are vulnerable because you will allow anything to be pushed your way. I tell you, the first time I prayed for somebody who, who, through whom demons were manifesting, I understood that. Because as, as, as these demons were speaking through this person, as they were coming towards me and they were saying whatever they were saying, you know, I remember in my mind, I started thinking about my own things. But you see, it's not about who you are in yourself. It's about who you are in Christ. Ow! That's why we don't go to Satan in the name of Musasono. Ah, we don't go in to Satan in the name of Mandlengosi. No, we go to Satan in the name of the one who was crucified, the one who died, the one who was buried, the one who was raised from the dead. We go to him in the name of the one who has been seated far above all principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. We go to him in the name that's above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Yeah. We don't go in our name. We go in the name of Jesus. So put it on. Put it on. Ah, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put it on that he doesn't know who is inside that breastplate. Put it on and stand against the walls of the devil. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Put on. Put on the breastplate. Covers your vital organs. When you know what the word of God says. And when you don't allow yourself to become a sentimental Christian. That on days when you feel good, you pray. You read the Bible, you go to church. You tithe. You come to the front and dance when you feel good. But when you don't feel so good, then instant disoyako is questionable. Yeah. I was telling them in the first service, we are, we've gotten into that season now. Winter time is around the corner. We're going to see the Christians who don't put their breastplates on. Yeah. I mean, I was watching it at the, at the at Mama Winnie's uh, send-off yesterday at Orlando Stadium. At a point, it rained so hard. Yeah. 
And the soldiers had to escort her coffin. And those soldiers were just marching. Rain and all. Huh? Did you see them? Rain and all. You call yourself a soldier of Jesus Christ, but you don't come to church when it rains. What a shock. Ah, what a shock. What an aftershock. Make up your minds this year. I've got my breastplate on. Rain or no rain, I'm going to church. Cold or no cold, I'm going to church. Even when I understand and I don't understand, I'm still serving Jesus. Even in winter time, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to offer my prayers to God. I've got my breastplate on. Hallelujah. Yeah. See, as Christians, we go through all problems that everybody goes through. God never gave us immunity from the problems of this world. Jesus says, in this world, (laughs) you will have tribulation, but, (laughs) be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Bible says, the Bible doesn't say we don't fall, it says a righteous man falls. Not just once, not just twice, not just thrice, not just four times, seven times. But after we the seven times, what does he do? I see you getting up in the name of Jesus. Oh! Make up your mind this year, you are not going to be a sentimental, feeling-oriented Christian. You're not going to serve God based on how you feel. Yeah. See, the Bible talks about being a matured Christian as opposed to being a baby Christian. And it uses the word carnal Christian. When Paul spoke to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 3, he says, when I came to you, I couldn't preach to you as unto carnal. He says, you are yet carnal. You are still babies in Christ. And he contrasts carnality and maturity. And he says, carnality is a sign of being a baby. Think about it in the natural. What distinguishes you as a matured person is that you are grown up enough now to know how to manage your emotions, your feelings. You know, children, when they want something, they want it ngok. When a child child is hungry, it doesn't matter if it's two in the morning. These little ones, these babies, they cry, ah! Them they, don't, they don't care if you had overtime the previous day. They don't care if you are sick. They don't care. Ah! You'd find them in the church now, standing with You see, that's a sign of, of, of being immature. When, when you are not able to control how you feel. Yeah, that's what a carnal Christian does. They allow their feelings. If they want to commit adultery, they just commit. If they want to lie, they just lie. Your amens are no more. (laughs) I don't see anybody standing up anymore. No, it, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean when you're a Christian, you don't want to. No, you do. 
you know, that's, that's, why, that's why I tell people, I say, you know, don't, don't think that because you're a Christian. Hmm. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think that that Revarut is so. We, you know, God has exercised all the emotions. No. Everything works. 200%, not even 100%, 200 And what makes it work is because we also walk in the anointing. You know, the anointing amplifies everything. Everything is working strongly, strongly. <laughs> so when you, see us, when you see us living right, it's, it's not because it's our natural disposition. No. It's because Laubo now rehey. Someone give the Lord a shout! Ow! Yeah. You are saying, I'm not going to allow my emotions. I don't serve God based on emotions. Hallelujah. I serve God based on the truth. I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Because if you serve God by emotions, there are days you are not going to pray. Because you don't feel like it. Days you won't give a tithe. Because you don't feel like it. There are days when you won't tell the truth. Because you don't. Thank you for that one, amen. <laughs> but we have our breastplate on. Let's conclude. Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? When we put on this breastplate of righteousness... Listen to this, Bazalana. It will bring us to a place where we live in the joy of the Lord. Because lacking the breastplate of righteousness will rob you of your spiritual joy. Number two, lacking the breastplate of righteousness will rob you of your spiritual fruit. Number three, lacking the breastplate of righteousness will rob you of your spiritual rewards. See, without holiness, we won't see God. Number four, lacking the breastplate of righteousness dishonors God and brings reproach upon his name. Note what Paul says. Put it on. Which means it's a choice you have. Every time we leave Barcelona, we all have a choice. Either I live this Christian life based on my emotions, either I yield to wrong doctrine willfully, or I choose. Yeah. And you know, Bazalan, I think sometimes where we've gone wrong is we've presented Christianity, particularly churches like ours, like, you know, there's a magic wand that we wave and everything just changes overnight. And we've presented it as a problem-free, trouble-free, trial-free life where you can somehow get everything like that. And so we find ourselves driven to want to succeed at any cost. And anybody who promises any additive that can fast-track our progress, we take it even if it's not scriptural. Either they have to pour oil on us, make us drink water, 
Pray for us if we have to give money. Prophet lie over us. Whatever. As long as, as long as, as long as it can fast track. But when you read the Bible, you know that the Christian life for the most part is lived out in an ordinary way. Every day, ups and downs of life. But it's a matter of your commitment to read God's word, live by God's word, allow yourself to grow. The Bible calls it the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of, a fruit grows over time. Yeah. That's why there's no gift of being a Christian. God doesn't impart the gift of being a Christian. No, Christianity is lived. Some days are great days, some days not so great. Some days you understand how God is working, some days you don't understand. Some days you feel like backsliding, but you don't. Sometimes you, you feel like whether you're a man or a woman. Mara, you don't. Yeah. Some days you just feel like lying. Sometimes when I feel like changing, I go pick and pay with God works in mysterious ways. You have that choice. You have that choice. Not long ago, I was stopped by a, 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 a traffic cop. And I must confess, I had transgressed. <laughs> and my sins were before me. It was judgment day. <laughs> And then he said, hey, Muna, you see what I said? Yeah, I know. He said, what must I do? I said, listen, you, you are the law. Whatever needs to be done, let it be done. He said, your transgression is a big one. I said, I know. He said, unless you know how to give me cold drink, I said, there's no cold drink. <laughs> so he looks at me, he says, what must I do? I said, you are the law. It's up to you. But now I'm a minister, I believe in forgiveness. <laughs> it's not corruption, it's forgiveness. Even in court, they can forgive you in court. I said, I'm a minister, I believe in forgiveness. I, I, I confess my sins, will you forgive me? No cold drink. Put that breastplate on because your life depends on it. Yeah. Put that breastplate on because if you don't, you really will not be able to live out your full life. Once you're wounded in this area, it's just a matter of time. But I pray that God will be gracious to us all and help us put on the breastplate of righteousness. Give the Lord a big hand of praise. He's worth it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you so much today. Your word is a lamp to our feet. Your word is a light on our path. The entrance of your word brings light. And it gives understanding to the simple. Our heads bowed, please. Our eyes closed. Nobody moving around. I want to pray now for those who are here today who want to commit their lives to Jesus Christ. As you've been listening to God's word today, you realize that, you know what? My life is really not pleasing to God. 
My life is not right before God. It could be so because you haven't as yet received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. I want to pray for you. Right where you are, I want to pray for you. If you are there and you say, please pray for me, I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life to be the Savior and the Lord of my life. Would you please pray for me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you raise your hand, please? Right where you are, I want to pray for you. Please pray for me. I want to commit my life to Christ. Thank you for those hands. All over the place. All over the place. All over the place. Thank you. May I ask the people who've raised their hands, would you please stand on your feet right where you are, please? Could you stand on your feet, please? I'd like to pray with you. Just stand. Thank you so much. Thanks, my brother. Thanks, young ladies. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. All over the place. Just stand. All over. Right at the back in the foyer there. Thank you. Thank you. To my right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is what church is about. It's all about us coming to God with open hearts and saying, God, my life is not pleasing to you. We're not here to embarrass anybody. All we want to do is to give you a chance that God can change your life and transform you. I want to thank you all for being so bold to stand on your feet. I want to pray with every one of you. May I ask you, please, if you could just come from where you stand and just make your way to the front. Let's pray in the front. And as you come, please don't leave any of your belongings behind. Take all your belongings in your hands and just walk to the front. You can put your hands down. Just come. Let's pray together. Give them a big hand. Pastor.